Well, welcome to week four of our new series, God Has a Name, inspired by Pastor John Mark Comer's book. Last week, our teaching pastor Marcy talked about how we can understand the problem of evil in the world, but also in us. She said what drives many of us to give undue attention or worship to things other than Yahweh, which Jesus referred to as idolatry, is FOMO, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. We seek after creations more than the creator. We seek money and status or material possessions. And when we fall into idolatry, we give Satan a foothold to bring evil into our lives. Well, I can say that in addition to avoiding FOMO, I reckon we also need to add in JOMO, J-O-M-O, which is the joy of missing out, as my friend here illustrates. The joy of staying in and not going out and disconnecting with the rush as a form of self-care. We all need a little bit more JOMO. All right, back onto the message, Rick. Let's remind ourselves of the key Bible passage we are studying together. Exodus 34, 5-7, and I'm reading from the New Life Translation, is this. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, Yahweh, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. Today we're going to explore God's own description of himself as compassionate and merciful. So imagine with me uh, for a moment that you live in the ancient Near Eastern world in about 1500 BC. The gods are mean and tricky and demanding and get angry over the slightest thing. You believe they cause storms and floods and fires and earthquakes, so you make sacrifices to keep them happy. You know, you start with a dove, but pretty soon you've upsized to a bull. And in those days, even a child. You try to placate these gods, but they do mean things anyway. Then a foreign power comes and attacks, and you're sold into slavery along with all your family and kin. You find yourself in Egypt, and there are even more gods to try and appease there. But enter Yahweh, who comes to your rescue. He leads your people through the desert, out of slavery, and gives food and water and guidance. And as you go, you realise you did nothing to deserve his care. Who is this God who cares for you? who wants you to know him and even tells you his name. And then on top of all he does, he tells you what he's like, compassionate and merciful. He's unlike any God you've ever encountered before. Compassionate, merciful. And you know those two words are the same words that are used of a female womb. Yet the use here is somehow a little different. So what are you saying, Rick? That Yahweh is a mother with a womb 
has actual feelings? Well, kind of. Psalm 103 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, as a father has compassion on his children. So Yahweh is parental in his care, protective, passionate, and empowering. To say someone is compassionate is to say they have care and concern for another person. It's a word that speaks of feelings. But Yahweh also says he is merciful, which is an action. It speaks of practicality, of help. It's the word also used in the Bible of justice for the poor, of material help for the needy. So when we come to God in prayer or in church worship or in a time of crisis, we come before a God who feels for us, who cares about us, who wants to act on our behalf. Amazing. Well, in my opinion, we can come to God in prayer in one of three ways. First, based on what we've done. It sounds like this. God, I'm a good person. I go to church, I volunteer, I donate money. So you should do X for me, whatever it is you're praying about. Well, John Mark Comer says, the only thing that can keep you from God's mercy is thinking you deserve it. It's what keeps religious people apart from God. Well, the other way that people come to God in prayer is based on what's been done to us. It's the cry of unfair or the pain of circumstances or the belief you deserve better. It sounds like, God, you can see what I'm going through, right? How could you let this happen to me? But a better way to approach God is based on who God is based on his mercy. And it sounds like, God, you are compassionate and merciful. You care and you help. You don't owe me anything yet. I owe you everything. Even so, I ask you to show mercy to me in this way. Here's a hard truth. Most of us want mercy for what we do wrong and justice for the wrongs of others, especially when they wrong us. But God confounds our presumptions because he's also just. And he does get angry. We're going to talk more about that in coming weeks. But for now, we know his basic emotion is mercy towards us. And as if to prove it to us, enter Jesus. One of his most confounding teachings was on nonviolence and mercy, even to enemies. In Luke 6, we read, But to you who are willing to listen, I say, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. Well, 2,000 years later, we still can't fathom this, can we? And I'm just talking about the Christians there. In fact, in 2023, if possible, these words of Jesus are more subversive and countercultural than ever. He went on to say, In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, 
and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans or unbelievers do that. In effect, Jesus is saying that every time the sun comes up and the rain comes down, God is loving on his enemies because that's who he is. He's merciful. And mercy is one of the hallmarks of Jesus' ministry because he is the compassionate and merciful God in the flesh who walked amongst us. In story after story in the New Testament, people came to Jesus for mercy and went away healthy and free. In one story told by Matthew, a little boy is under the control of a demon that causes epilepsy and self-abuse. His father, desperate, comes up to Jesus for help. And Jesus is merciful. He does help. And the boy is healed. Because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, because of who he is, we can now relate to God as sons and daughters of a loving, compassionate and merciful father and not as puny mortals cowering before an angry and malignant deity. As the Apostle John reminds us, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Well, before we get all mushy on this love thing, let's reread what Jesus said about who to love in Matthew 5. And if we understand Jesus correctly, those verses could read like this. <clears throat> Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, even our enemies, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves, especially their enemies, is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love their enemies does not know God, for God is love. Remember we said in week one of this series, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. This is not a new idea. It has its origins in the creation narratives of Genesis. We, humans, are made in the image of God. So it's our job in life to image God, to copy and mimic what God is like for the sake of others. Further, the world is supposed to know what God is like by looking at us, the people of God. Jesus said it this way, 
I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So when we examine Exodus 34, the key verses of this series, it's not just about the way God is. It's also a manifesto for how we, followers of Jesus, are to live. It's in our DNA. We're in Jesus' family and the family name is at stake. So what does this mean for us, you know, every day from today until Jesus returns? Well, here's two things to think and pray on. Think about, well, who are your enemies? What would it look like for you to show mercy to them? Not sure? Can't even imagine it? Well, it could be your ex-partner. For example, they have spread stories about um, how to show themselves to be the victim and you the villain in order to gain the sympathy of friends. It could be a work colleague who is gaslighting you to get ahead of you at work. It could be that relative you trusted and privately helped out by lending money to them, but who then denied it to your family and refused to pay it back to you. It could be that bully at school who says it's all your fault. So what could our approach be to show godly mercy, even to those who have wronged us? A couple of things. Step one is recognise you are a child of God and do not deserve to be treated that way. Secondly, take your focus off yourself and recognise that this person is also a child of God. Try seeing the issue through their eyes. Why are they doing this? You know, it's often true that hurt people hurt people. Jesus suggests praying for them, asking God to reveal things to us about ourselves and the other person that can actually help to break the cycle of bitterness and blame. According to Jesus, we could start the process of forgiveness, even if they don't want it or haven't said sorry. You know, find some undeserved kindness you can show them or say about them. Well, I love the TV series Ted Lasso. Uh, and uh, in one episode, one of Ted's coaching team, Nathan Shelley, leaves the club, joins another club, out of jealousy and resentment of Ted. He then criticises Ted in a press conference after beating Ted's team. In a separate press conference held later that day, Ted is asked by the same journalists, well, what's his response to what Nathan had said? They await his response, expecting a defensive takedown of the brash young man. Let's see how Ted responds. Mark Sadabaya, The Independent. Congrats on the new gig. Thank you. What do you got for me? Do you have any response to the comments made earlier today by your former assistant coach, Nathan Shelley? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, he came and got us, didn't he? No doubt about that. <laughs> hey, but that's Nate the Great for you. 
You know, he's the same way on the pitch. You know, he'll find the tiniest little weakness in a team and just want to attack that. Yeah. I mean, uh, he's a junkyard dog, man. And smart. They're real lucky to have him over there at West Ham. I wish him the best of luck. There's so much Christ-likeness in that response. It makes you wonder if one of the writers of Ted Lasso series is indeed a Christ follower themselves. In forgiving your enemies, you're not giving them anything God hasn't already offered them. And you're actually giving something to yourself, releasing the perpetrator's hold on your thoughts and emotions and giving yourself freedom from bitterness and freedom to love. Well, maybe enemy is too strong a word for you. Then how about this? Who do you find it difficult to understand? They're not usually hard to find. Often, it's those closest to us. A spouse, a child, an in-law, a colleague, a friend. Yes, they annoy us. But show mercy. They will make mistakes. But show mercy. Where do you find an example of that to follow? Where can we go to receive mercy so that we can show others mercy? I mean, Hebrews it says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is what God made possible for us a way we can approach him and receive mercy through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Yahweh, Yahweh, the God of compassion and mercy. Let's pray. Yahweh, Heavenly Father, we're thankful beyond words for your gift of Jesus to us. Draw us closer into relationship with him, our Saviour and Lord, that we might approach your throne of grace with confidence and receive mercy and find grace. Give us the strength to endure difficult times and to live joyfully despite our circumstances. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to model the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as Jesus did for us and help us to live life as he shows us it could be, with compassion and mercy to all. Amen.